Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Well, we are again in the book of Philippians. I say again like we've been there for a while. We, we just started Philippians, so it's kind of new. We'll be in chapter 1, starting in verse 3 today. Last week we got to, to hear how, how Paul greeted the Philippians and reminded of the truths of just the grace and peace that is available through our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen how, how Paul and Silas were, were meant to be on a missionary journey, and they had intended to go to one place, and yet the Holy Spirit came in and said, no, you're going to go somewhere else. And through all of the workings of the Holy Spirit, God sent Paul and Silas to the region of Philippi, and God worked in people's hearts. Salvations were had, and churches were, a church was planted. Now we pick up today as we continue to the, the passage and we see that we remember that, that uh, Paul's in prison when he's writing this letter. We don't think about prison as, as a particularly enjoyable time. I, I don't know. I've not been in prison, but I have heard it's just, it's just not where you go for a vacation. It's, especially the prison that Paul would have been in. It could have, would, probably would have been shackled. Uh, you don't know what's happening, especially Paul at this time. He doesn't know his fate at this time. He's, he's waiting to hear, could he possibly be executed? What, what it could be his fate? And yet, as we, as we see what, what Paul pins, it, it's not doom and gloom. It's not, well, I wish I would have done this. It, we see joy. We see thankfulness. We see gratefulness. And we need to learn a lot from Paul. As, as, I, as we read this text, you're all sitting here, so you're obviously not in prison. But you may be coming in here today thinking that this year has been pretty rough. You may be in a stage of life right now where you're like, man, can, can it get any worse? I, I, maybe not in here, but I, I think our world is. Uh, I saw several memes last night that said uh, something to the effect of, I'm not going to set my clock back any. We don't need any more of 2020. All kinds of stuff out there of, you know, it's October 31st or now it's November 1st, so we've only got... 17 more months to go to finish this year off. It just seems like in our culture right now, it's, the tone is that this has been a terrible year. And, and, I, and I, there's plenty of things I would love to stand up here and say, I wish this didn't happen. This year has been terrible for this reason. My kids have missed out on this. I've missed out on this. I miss going in restaurants and sitting down and eating. There's so many things that I could love to point out, and, and I could dwell on those things, and, and I could come to the conclusion this is a terrible year, there's nothing good in this year, and then still that doesn't, doesn't equate to where Paul was at in prison. So it, we can learn a lot from how, how Paul writes today and, and, and the words that he says uh, to the church of Philippi. So if you would, would you turn with me as, as we look at how Paul writes and look, look at what God's word says we're going to be in verse 3, and uh, we're going to read all the way through 11. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, 
And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve of what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. If you read those words, would you have guessed those are words coming from a guy who's in prison? So there's this difference, and we see it all throughout Scripture, there's this difference between this, this feeling of happiness and then true joy. And there's, if you go to, to bookstores or 2020, Amazon, uh, if, you, if you just search for, you know, how to be happy, how to have joy, you know, you can find all kinds of answers to those, to those questions. All kinds of answers from do this, do this, take these, take these medicines, do this, how to, how to not do this. And if you do those things, then, then you might find a, a shred of happiness. You might find something that resembles joy. But, but we see all throughout scriptures that true joy is not based on circumstances. It's not based on feelings. It's based on one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can give us the joy that we long for. And, and Paul knows that. Paul has that. We have that because of what Christ has done in our lives. We base our joy on the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. Then we can't lose it. We can't go wrong from there. And so as we see, as Paul is, is writing this with a joyful heart, and, and we see right away that he says he's, he thanks God for all of his remembrance of them. That struck me as odd when I first read it because I was thinking, we just talked about in Acts 16 that Paul got put in prison as soon as he went to the region of Philippi. He cast out a demon from a little girl, and that made him mad, and they, they put him in prison. And yet, as he's thinking about this, he says, I, I give thanks to every remembrance of you. When he thinks back about, about the, the church of Philippi, he thinks about all the memories he has of them, he gives thanks for it. That includes, that includes the bad times. That includes the times when he was in prison. That includes the times that, that I have to assume, because these are, these are human people who have sinful hearts, that there were probably times when Paul said something and someone didn't agree with him. There were probably times when he was teaching people the truth of the gospel and someone said, well, I don't think that's right. Or, or the Bible can't tell me how to live my life. And yet, every remembrance Paul has, he gives thanks for. He's very thankful for them. So he, he doesn't look back and have a memory that is, that is perfect, that is pure, that is, that is completely void of any kind of error. There were probably hard times. We know there was division, uh, some division in church, because chapter 4 tells us that, but yet he still gives thanks for every memory of them. So it kind of gives us a picture of how Christians should remember each other. When believers come together and believers create these experiences with each other, when we have this deep fellowship, we should see the goodness in each other. There's going to be times where, where we're probably going to, to wrong each other. We're going to do things that are sinful, and we might make each other mad. But because of the cross of Christ, we know that there's forgiveness and there's reconciliation. 
We can have these bonds that, that, that other people can't have. But yet, even though he knows there's these things that are negative, he, he sees, he sees God, God's grace in that. And it begs the question, as I read this, is it, is it easier for us to see the good things in people or the bad? Now, I'm talking about, we're talking about the context of believers here, our, our local body of Christ. Is it, is it easier for us? Are we, are we just, is our go-to reaction, is it to see the, the good in people, meaning the, the, the grace that has come out from what God has done in their lives? Are we, is that what we see? Is it easier for us to see that? Or is it easier to see the things when people make mistakes? It says kind of a lot about, you know, how our spiritual growth is going if we're, if we're always quick to be the critical one. Well, they're, they, they claim to be a Christian, but I saw that sin they made the other day. See, as Christians, we, we understand that sanctification is a slow process. And we want to be quick to celebrate the things that God is doing in their lives. We want to be quick to praise the, the grace that God has given them. And walk them through the times, walk all of us through the times where, where we can grow closer to Christ. But our memories need to be full of the things that, that God has done. Full of the good memories that we can have of each other. Paul is also thankful for all of them. You notice that no point in here he says, I'm thankful for all of you except John. Or except someone. Just pick a name. He says all of them. So, to me, that's a major statement. It's, it's hard for me to imagine and, and really be honest about the fact that I'm just thankful for everybody. There's some people in my lives where that would be a struggle. It would be a struggle to say, I'm really thankful for them in my life. They're always a hassle to me, always doing this. I'm thankful for them. But Paul was. And, and, but you know what's interesting about Paul as we see this? Is that we know there's conflict in chapter 4, and he, and he takes that conflict on. He doesn't ignore it. There's no chance where he says, I'm thankful for that them because I just I ignore that conflict and I dismiss it and I just move on. No, he, he takes the conflict on. He takes it head first. He calls out sin when sin needs to be called out, but in a loving way that brings them back to Christ. And he's thankful for all of them. And we need to be thankful for each other. We need to be thankful for each other. As we, as we look around here, we are a local body of Christ. We are the local uh, we are brought together in unity because of what Christ has done for us, and we're joining together. And, and we need to resemble what we're seeing here from Paul. We need to, we need to give thanks to God for, for what we have. And uh, as, as I'm saying this, I realize I'm not prepared because I don't have something that I was supposed to read today. But uh, interesting enough, and, and we didn't talk about this, we didn't share this, I didn't even talk to Jared about this, but if you got your email this week, Jared sent out a letter to the church, and it was a thankful letter about how he is thankful for this, for this body. And, it, and to me, it embodied exactly what we're seeing in Paul here. And I was going to read the letter just for, for those who uh, didn't have it, but my phone is right there, live streaming. So uh, if you didn't get it, I can send you a copy. But it was just an amazing thing for me to read, because we didn't talk about it. I don't know that he looked ahead and said, okay, I need to write this letter because Paul did this. It's because it's true. It's true. Jared is thankful for this congregation. He's, he's thankful for this body. We are all thankful for that. I can't count how many times, uh, just in the last six months or so, I've had conversations with people and just 
just remarked about the fact that I'm just so thankful for what God is doing here. And not that, not that people are coming and we're filling pews, although that's great, but people's lives are being changed. God is growing hearts in this church. He's growing people closer to him. We remarked the other night at men's discipleship looking around, and there was like 12, 13 guys there studying a book of holiness. That was foreign to me. I don't, I don't know of many times where, where I've been in churches where, where that many guys would just say, I want to I read this book together, and I want to learn how to be more holy. Not because I need to put a mark on my mantle or for any kind of achievement, because I want to be closer to God. I want to be like who God has called me to be. And so as we look around this room, as as we're making friendships, as we're seeing what God is doing in our lives, let's give thanks to God for what he's doing. Let's give thanks to God for, for each other. Be thankful for what God is doing in this place. And I thought Jared gave us a very good example of that this week. Paul's thankfulness towards the Philippians was was joyful. It was full of joy. And his thanksgiving led him to prayer. And as I came to that conclusion, I think about my own prayer life, and I think about the way we pray, and and I think that there's probably an avenue where we need to add in praying for other people. Probably Probably too often, if we're being honest, our prayers are mostly about ourselves, hopefully including our family, but... But how, how often do we pray for other people? How often do we, do we really want to pray for each and every person here? That, that conflict we see in chapter 4, the conflicts that arise in churches, all those conflicts probably wouldn't exist if people were more prayerful towards each other. There's been times in my life, I know for sure when I was, when I was younger and growing in the faith where, where I know people have said, hey, would you pray for me for this? Sure. And I didn't pray for him. And, and probably didn't even tend to when I said yes. And I know God's, God's convicted me of that already, and it's been, it's been a thing, but it, it is a joy and an honor to pray for each other. God has brought this group together. God has brought us together, and we can go to him and thank him for what he's done and pray for each other. We, we, all, have, we all have needs. We all have things that we struggle with. We all have things that, that, man, I feel like I'm dealing with all, all my own. And we're not. We are a body that has come together. And so we, we can voice those concerns. We can say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Hank, would you pray for me? And I know he's going to. So it, if we look at our prayer lives, and, and if we're not doing this, it's a good time to kind of evaluate, how, how am I praying? Am I praying for other people? Am I praying for... For my, for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are my prayers just really about the things that I want as a checklist of like, man, I really, really, want, I really, want, to, really want this. Or, and God, I really want you to kick this habit for me. Could we all do a little bit of evaluation of our prayer lives and, and go to God in prayer for our brothers and sisters and take seriously the request that we have? You know, if, if we look at this passage a lot of times as we approach the subject of joy, we think, if I had something else, I, I think I'd have joy. If I had that bigger house, I'd have joy. If I had that, that different body type, I would have joy. If I had this, maybe I'd, I'd, be, I'd be more joyful. And, and this, this description that Paul is writing and, and the situation that he's in, he's, he's modeling for us that, that we don't need those things. 
Matter of fact, we just need Jesus to have joy. We can learn a lot from what, what Paul is, is, is teaching us here today. Let's move on to uh, verse 5. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That word partnership, koinonia, is a, is a deep, rich word in the New Testament. It can actually mean several different things. And so uh, we, we kind of need to kind of flesh out what, what is Paul using it here. And if you look, he's, we're looking at the context of this local body. We're looking at this context of believers. And so uh, it, it's got a pretty, pretty big meaning and we, we, already, we know from, from other chapters and things that, that the, the church in Philippi, the people here, the, the saints, that they love Paul. They love him back. This love that Paul has for the church is not just one-sided. They love him too. Remember, Paul came to them and was the first one to share the gospel with, to them. That's a loving thing, to go to a place that there is no gospel presence, a place where where people are not worshiping God and, and go to them and tell them of their need for Jesus. And so when they think about how God has done a work in their lives, they're thankful for Paul and Silas and his team for coming and sharing the gospel with them. So they, they love Paul also. And so they have been financially supporting Paul and his, and his team and his journey. Uh, they, they didn't just say, hey, we love you. Good luck. No, they, they've been financially supporting him. They've been doing things that, that they could do so Paul could then do the work God's called him to do. That they've shown their love through their actions. Even while he was in prison, they've still loved on him and supported him. But it wasn't just, a, it wasn't just like a partnership of like, okay, we're going to sign a contract and that means you're going to give me this much money and I'm going to go preach this many times or if you give me this amount of money, I'm going to, I'm going to plant six churches next year. It wasn't that kind of a partnership. It was just strictly business. It was a partnership that was built on fellowship. And so one of the, one of the words that we see here in this koinonia, we see the word fellowship. Now, I don't know how, uh, I don't know how Southern Baptist you guys are or how churchy you are. When I think of the word fellowship, I think of one thing. Potlucks. <laughs> Fried chicken's a better one. I would like that one a lot better. Because sometimes I go, to, I go to potlucks, and it's all things I don't eat. I think these casseroles, they throw like 17 things in there. And people love that stuff. But I'm kind of a one-ingredient guy, like just meat, potatoes, and not touching. All right? You know that Thanksgiving plate that has like the seven sections? That's my plate, all right? Anyway, that is not, not what I'm talking about here. <clears throat> Sorry. Fellowship. Man, we've watered down that word. We water down this world where it's just like, hey, we're going to go have some fellowship, and it's just eating and talking and, and hanging out. And it's cordial, it's casual. And, and that it, there is an aspect of that in fellowship. But this word fellowship means so much more than that. It, it has a commonality. There's a bond that can only be brought together. Because, because we can all have friendships. People who don't know Jesus can have friendships. And that is a common grace that God's given them. They don't know that. We don't know that when, when we're unbelievers but God's given them that grace to have those, those bonds. If you think about your friendships, think about people who you're, who you're bonded together with. A lot of times there's something that, that has brought you together. Some of my friendships are because we went to the same school growing up. Some of my friendships are because we like lights that flash, sing to music. I don't have many of those friendships. 
but we have other friendships because we're, we're based on things. Like we have common interests, we have common goals, talk about the things that we both enjoy. Those are friendships, those are bonds. Every one of us in here who's repented of their sins and has placed their faith in Jesus, we have a common bond, and that's our love for Jesus. See, see Christians have a, a, a type of fellowship that is only found within the church. It's only found here. It's only found within the church. Because all of us, we don't have to say, okay, well, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can be friends with this person because I don't know if I can ever be close with them. I mean, they're into music, and, and I can't even, like, hum a tune. I mean, what are we going to talk about? I like rap, and they like country. Hank? That's not a thing. It's not a thing. But we have Jesus. I don't have to go from there. We, we have this common bond of the fact that we were sinners in need of Jesus and that God chose us and he has saved us and he went to the cross and he died for our sins. There's no better common bond than that. And if, and if you've not entered into many of those fellowships, if you've not really entered into any of those relationships, I want to encourage you today. If this, if this service ends today and you just shoot out that door, you're, you're missing a time where you, get, you could fellowship with other people. You could, you could start those relationships because they, they, are, they do have that common bond, but you have to kind of grow them. You have to kind of you have to talk to people. You've got to share. You have to talk and say, hey, what's your name? And we have to see where, what are they struggling with, and then you can pray for them, and you can thank God for them. And we get to see the things that Paul is writing, and we get to live them out in our own lives. And so Paul has that deep bond of fellowship because, because they've been brought together by the work of Christ. They were brought together because God called Paul and Silas on a mission and called them to preach the gospel. And then God worked in the hearts of these believers and then brought them to all of them to the saving faith of Jesus. That's all found within the church. And so that fellowship, this, that koinonia, is the partnership that, God, that Paul's talking about. That's part of the partnership that he's talking about here is the fact that they have joined together and they all are united at the cross. But it doesn't stop there. This word koinonia has, has multiple meanings. And another meaning that they, we see here is that, is that they are joined together in mission. See, we as Christians have, have this deep fellowship because we've been brought together by, by the love of Christ, but also we are brought together to join each other on the same mission. We're all brought together to preach the word, to share the word, and to make disciples of all the nations. That's the mission. And so when we're together, we may be together at a ball game, watching kids play, but we can yet talk about what, what God has done in our lives and what Christ is doing in the world today. We can sit at Sergio, Zach, and talk about theology. We, we can do these things because God has brought us together and we're on the same mission. And that's what Paul is saying here. You've partnered with me in this ministry. They've, they've supported him. They have financially given to him. They've joined in this ministry, and they have bonded together to say, we're going to reach the lost in our community. And that's what this region of Philippi, this is what this community of Philippi, that's what they were doing. They said, Paul, you're doing this. We're going to join you in this. And they went to battle with Paul. They joined arm in arm and said, we are in this mission with you. And then they went to battle with Paul. And then when Paul left, that fellowship was still there. They, they sent Epaphroditus to him to minister him while he's in prison. And, and they still continue to, to join and, and join that mission and continue in that fellowship. 
as I thought about how Paul must have felt in this, I realized that, that I do understand a lot of the, about this, not the prison part, so I've been there. But last year, uh, you may remember that Hank and I, we stood in front of you and we said that we felt called to plant a church. Now let me tell you, when, when that kind of came out, there was some fear there. When, when, when God first started calling me and, and then Hank, actually separately and then together, and, and uh, I had to call Jared and say, Jared, what would you think if you sent me out as a church planner? It'd be awesome. So he said. And I was kind of, you know, a little, little fearful, probably a little trembling in my voice when I said it. There's never trembling in Jared's voice. Anybody ever notice that? Anyway. I said, well, what if, what if I took one of your elders? Praise God. What if we took some of your members? Praise God. He was excited about partnering in ministry. So we've experienced a little bit of that here. And then after we talked to Jared, and then, and then we talked to the elders, again, it was excitement. It was, let's partner together. Because we have that fellowship. We have that deep bonds of Christ. And we're all, we're all understanding that we are on the same mission. The mission isn't to, to have the, the, the biggest church we could possibly have right here in this location. The, biggest, the mission is, is to see souls come to faith in Christ. It doesn't matter if it's here. It doesn't matter if it's in Murphy. It doesn't matter if it's in Marion. The mission is still the same. We bonded together with that. And then after we went, came to the elders, we came to the church. Again, there could have been times when people could have been like, are you psycho? Like, you can't just, like, take our people. Like, what are you doing? And that, that would have been the normal human response. Like, you think you can just, like, I mean, really, at this point, we were here for, like, eight months, Maybe. And we stood in front of your, this church and said, hey, we're going to take one of your elders and some of your people. And you know what? We've yet to get a negative comment back. Yet to. And I don't think we're going to because this fellowship, that, this koinonia that Paul is talking about here, this partnership in the gospel is, is, is the love that we've experienced. It's the bonds that only God can bring together. It's, it's the, the mission and the, and the agreement that we are on the same mission. It's not, about, it's not about me. It's not about Hank. It's not about Jared or Andy or George or Lido. Any, any, any person here, it's just about we're all together on the same mission. So I understand as, as we see how Paul is writing this. Let's continue into verse 6. And I am sure of this, that, who, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I know when we look at the scriptures, we shouldn't say favorite verses or really like this one. But if you need comfort today, this verse is for you. Amen. If you are in Christ, let me, let me preface that. If you are in Christ, meaning that you have you have realized that you are a sinner, that you have done things that are against what a holy God commands. You know that you have sinned against that God. And you repented of those sins. You've turned from those sins and said, God, forgive me. I have sinned against you. Would you forgive me? Your sins were cast upon the feet of Jesus who went to the cross for those sins. And then you've placed your faith, you've placed your trust in all the work that Christ did on the cross in his resurrection. If you've done that, if you have repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus, then this verse is encouraging for you. 
He who began a good work in you. Adam did not begin any good works in him. There's no, there's no work that I could have done. There's nothing I could have festered up. There's no program that I could have written, no algorithm that would have done it for me. There's nothing that could have done it. I, there's nothing I could engineer. Because God created the work in me. And it was a good work. Because a good God created it. But he didn't just create that work, did he? Nope. He who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the, at the day of Jesus Christ. If you go to my house, I'm famous for multiple things. One of those is finished, unfinished projects. I really like starting projects. I don't know what it is about me. I don't, I don't get it. But you know those DIY shows they do like the demo? That's my favorite part. <laughs> I really like to start projects. And then I get so far in, I'm like, I'm bored of this. <laughs> so unfortunately, it's not one of my better qualities. And I, I would like to say I'm trying to work on it, but <clears throat> the evidence is not there. But I have a lot of unfinished projects, incomplete. Things in my house that I started on, I had good intentions. <clears throat> I didn't finish it. I, I will. I'm going, I'm going, maybe. I don't know. But man, we don't have a God who has any incompletes. I'm thankful for that. As someone who is prone to have incompletes, I am thankful for a God who, when he begins a good work, he, he sees it all through completion. There are times in my, in my walk with Christ where I think, man, is this, a, this is not going right. I, I have strayed away from the commands of God. I'm struggling. And I need to remember these words that, that God has created a good work in me. And that he is going to see it through completion. It, it's, not, it's not my power. It's not my power that's going to see it through completion. It's his. And, and we can bank on that. We can trust in that. And it doesn't lead us to laziness, though. A lot of times we can read these verses and say, okay, God's going to see it to completion. I'm just going to kick back and relax and enjoy the show. But that's not, that's not the type that we're seeing here. Is that he is... He is enabling us for freedom. He is freeing us up to obey him and to do the things that he's commanded us to do. So if you need encouragement today about your walk, if you, if you are struggling with where you are, you can trust in the Lord. He is going to complete the good work that he started in you. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This joy that Paul feels in his heart, it's, it's not an accident. It's not just because it's Paul the apostle. It's not, the, it's not like a random thing. It's, 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 it's not luck, if you believe in luck. It's, it's right. It is good that, that Paul feels this way. It's based on all the things that we've seen already. It's based on all the evidence that Paul has displayed of this deep fellowship, and it's rooted in the fact of what Christ has done for them. You know, in those days when someone was in prison, especially if it was in your household, it would have brought shame to you. If, if someone in your household would have, would have got sent to prison, it would, would have brought shame on your household. It may have even caused you to then shun that person. 
So it would have been culturally acceptable at this time for when Paul went to prison because he had relationships with these people, because he had associations with this church. It would have been acceptable culturally for them to say, we don't know that guy. We shun him. His actions don't reflect our actions. That imprisonment doesn't reflect our imprisonment. I don't know who that guy is anymore. He's dead to us. It would have been culturally acceptable to do that. And the church of Philippi did not do that. We've already seen and we've been over the fact that they, they, didn't, they didn't just keep loving him. They, they continued to minister to him. They sent Epaphroditus to him. They sent gifts to him. They sent Epaphroditus and said, you, you ministered all of Paul's needs. Again, the situations and the, the, the places they were in didn't dictate the joy that they had towards each other. It didn't dictate the fact that they were thankful for what God has, has done and has brought together. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all affection of Christ Jesus. This, this affection that, that, that Paul has towards the church and this affection that, that we have towards each other, it's not a normal affection. It's the affection of Christ Jesus. It means it can't be duplicated by the world. There's all kinds of, of feelings the world tells us we should have, all kinds of affections the world says you, sh- you should have towards people. But this deep affection that belongs, only belongs to Christians is rooted in Christ. It's because they are from the Lord. These affections are from the Lord. They're literally the, the, the way that Christ loves the church. So Paul says, I have the affections of Jesus Christ here, meaning Christ loved the church in such a sacrificial way. Christ loved the church so much that he went to the cross and died for the church. He took the sins that, uh, of you and I, the sins that we committed because we chose to commit those sins, we wanted to commit those sins. Christ freely took them on himself. He took those sins and he took the punishment for every single one of those sins. He took the full wrath of God for the church. He didn't didn't deserve that. He was innocent. That's sacrificial love. That's deep affection. That's that's the love that Christ has for the church. And Paul is saying, I love you with that love. Self-sacrificial love. And that's the love that we should have for each other. It's a love that that doesn't put, put yourself first, but it puts others first. And Paul is, is talking to them and saying, this unity that you have as believers, if it, is, if it is founded upon Christ, it's going to have self-sacrificial love. And it's going to be noticeable throughout the whole world. People, when they, when they come in contact with that, don't understand it. People, when they come in contact from the outside world, they say, why would you do that? Why would, why would you just give up this this thing, this position for someone else? Why would, why would you just give stuff away? Why would you give a percent of your money to, to God? Why would you support someone who's planting a church? Why would you support a missionary? Self-sacrificial love says, I'm not going to put myself first. I'm going to put the needs and wants and desires of my believers first, my fellow believers, those that I'm bonded together with Christ in unity. Both parties share in the work that God is doing in their lives. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Paul doesn't say anywhere in here that they struggle with love. 
Matter of fact, if, if anything, throughout the book of Philippians, we see that they have displayed that they love well, that they love Paul well, that they love each other well, that there, there may have been uh, some conflict between a couple believers in chapter 4, but, but we're seeing that, that they are a church that loves well. Paul doesn't say, you know, it, if you love well, then you're good. He says, my prayer is that, you will, that your love will abound more and more. Is there an aspect in our lives where, where, where we get to a point where we can't be any more loving? I've, I've reached the pinnacle of loving. Amber, I've reached the pinnacle of loving. So, <laughs> oh, we can, we can continue to grow in our love. And Paul tells us here, he tells the church in Philippi, that he wants us to grow in our love more and more. May your love abound more and more. We need to grow in our love. We want to lo- you can never outdo someone in loving others. But we'll look at that love. My prayer that your love will abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So this knowledge has, or this love has some other components to it. This knowledge here is not just worldly knowledge. It's not just like you have stats and figures in your mind and, and you are the best at every trivia contest. It's not the knowledge it's talking about. It's the knowledge of God. As we begin to know who God is, as we begin to learn who God is, how God loves, that knowledge is going to help our love grow. It's going to help us love in the way that God loves. Our love should not be static. We should be growing in love for each other. But we should be loving the way God loves. And we need to grow in our knowledge of God. We need to grow in in our knowledge of the scriptures so we can grow in our love. It also says, in all of discernment. That means as we're, as we're beginning to, to love more, we're beginning to, to gain that knowledge as you're seeking the scriptures and saying, okay, this is, this is how Jesus modeled love for us. This is what he did for us. This is, this is how God says that he loves his children. This is how, this is how we should love. It means discernment means we need to take those we need to take that knowledge, and we need to take that to God in prayer. There, there may be times where we, we have this, this knowledge of who God is, and we say, Lord, would you help me to know how to love this person? Maybe there's difficulties, you're, you're loving other people, you're doing these things, and you say, Lord, would you, would you give me the discernment to know how to love like you? We need to be asking God for discernment and, help, and having him help us in our love of others. If we, if we ask the Lord for help, he gives it. And if we're trusting in ourselves to always know the right answers and always to, 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 to be the best at everything, then we're trusting in our own power. We want to trust in, what, in, in God's power and how he is going to lead us to love others. Are we content with the way we're loving right now? Are we content with, with how loving we are? I'm talking personally here. Or are there areas in our lives where we need to grow in that? Are there areas of of ways that we're loving others that, that we need to kind of, we need to grow more in. Do we, do we have the knowledge of how God loves? Do we have the knowledge of, of how, how God has loved us? Do we, need to, do we need to grow in that knowledge so then we can grow in our love towards others? Verse 10 says, So that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
Now, this is the second time in this passage that he has mentioned the day of Jesus Christ. Both of those are talking about the Lord's, recu- uh, Lord's return as Jesus returns. And he, he earlier said he's going to complete that good work in us until the day of Christ's return. And now he says, Paul says, so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So we see there's kind of two aspects here, right? This idea that God began the work in us and that he's going to complete it, that's the work that God is doing. We can't, can't, we can't lose our salvation because we didn't earn it. We didn't do anything to do that. God is, God is keeping us and he is working, us in our, he's working in us and his power can't be thwarted. But, there's, but Paul also wants us to be ready for Christ's return. He also wants us to be, to be ready in that, in that time. And there's different ways of being ready. There's different ways of, of approaching this idea of the Lord's return. One way is not so good. As we think about the Lord coming back and, and the Lord returning, the reality is that some people are not ready because they're still reliant on themselves. As they approach their, their lives and do everything, everything, their decisions are always for them and, and I'm going to make the best decision for me. I'm going to choose what's best for me. And in doing so, they, they're not in any way reliant upon Christ. They're still reliant on a, on a, on a life that is, that is purely sinful and a life that is only going to lead them to destruction. Because when the, when the Lord returns, the reality is, is there's going to be a judgment for their sins. There's going to be a judgment for the sins that they have committed. So some people aren't ready. And so Paul is urging everybody to, to, to continue this mission that we're on, continue to preach the gospel, continue to share the love of Christ to all that we know. But then there's a different type of ready. There's a ready where God has already done the work in us. He has already done the work. He is completing that work. And so we get to then be saved to, to do the works that he's called us to. Since he has created that good work in us and since he has completed that good work in us, we are free then to, to choose to do good works. And we want to do those good works that God has called us to do. We want to do the things that our Father has said, these are, these are good for you. And that, in that sense, we're actually we're ready because we're, we're just waiting on that day. We're eagerly anticipation of the day when Christ will return, where we get to be united with Christ. We're no longer separated from him uh, in the sense that we are right now, but we would get to be united with him. So we, we eagerly await for that day. And we, and we prepare ourselves by becoming more and more like him. We prepare ourselves by continuing to do the things God has commanded us to do, continuing to seek out the ways that are pure and blameless, like Paul says. Because as we're growing in our love, as we're seeking God's, uh, God's word for knowledge and we're seeking him for discernment, we're going to come across times where we're going to say, is this right for me to do? Are we going to approve of these things? We want to come across things in our life. It's like, should, should, I, should I be doing this? Should I be saying these things? Should I be reading these things? Should I be watching these things? Should I be behaving this way? And if, we, and if we're seeking the Lord and we're doing the things he's called us to, and we come to a conclusion that, that these things are not right, that we want to rid them from our lives. We want them to be gone. 
But if we come to a conclusion through the scriptures and through the leading of the Holy Spirit that this is right, that this is approved, it is pure and blameless, that we want those things in our lives. We want to be characterized by those things in our lives, and that's how we want to continue to walk with the Lord. As he finishes up in verse 11, he says, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. When we hear the command to live pure and blameless, if we just hear that command by itself, we think, there's no way I can do that. I've, I've seen my life. I've seen my actions. There's things in my life and actions that are not pure and are not blameless. But if we, if we approach it on just on our own power, then, then, we, then we're right. We can't do that. But God has created this work in us, and God is seeing it through completion. And that we see here, we're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That these, these good works that are, that are coming through us, that are, that are, that are God's grace, they're, they're from Jesus. They're from Christ. So we can't do it on our own. We need to trust in the work of God. We need to, to lean into the, to the scriptures. We need to lean into the leaning of, of the Holy Spirit. We need to, to listen to the Holy Spirit as he shows us right and wrong. And we need to uh, apply those things to our lives. As Paul ends this section, as, as we end our section today, we, we see that he says all these things. He's talked about being thankful. He's talking about uh, being grateful for them. He's, he's looking back at their, their deep fellowship and their partnership and in their financial giving, that they're united in this mission. We, we look and see how he, he sees that the love they have towards each other is the affection that is only from Christ Jesus, that they're bonded together because of the things that God has done for them. And he says, all of this to the glory and praise of God. All of this, all, all the things that, that churches do, all, if churches have ministries and activities and events and, and all the things, none of those mean anything if the end result is not to the glory and praise of God. Everything we say here, we want to be for the glory of God. Every time we sing a song, we want God to be praised in it. When, when we think about our lives, we think about our relationships that we have, do they bring glory to God? Do they, do they, do they praise us? Or, or does God get the praise in them? We, we can take just that last sentence, and we can really do a lot of evaluating. We can go back and we can look out and say, man, I don't... This, is for, this, this thing that I'm doing here, this, this was for me. This was just to bring attention to Adam. That's not good. We want to bring glory to God. We want to, we want to lead everything to the praise of God. But as we, as we think back to, this, to these words, I don't know where each and every one is here today, but as I, as I looked at these passages and, and had them in my mind, it was clear that, that, that this, this aspect of joy, it, it starts here very early on in Philippians. That God does not want us to be a people that is lacking of joy. We should, be, we should be a people, even in a year where a lot of people would say it's a terrible year. Let's showcase our joy to the world. Let's showcase our love of each other to the world. If you've been on Facebook or Twitter, or other social media platforms, 
you would probably say that, that they don't showcase love towards each other. Maybe yours does. Mine has not. But Christians, we need want to showcase love towards each other. We want to, we want to showcase a type of love that is so foreign, it causes people to scratch their heads and says, what in the world is that? Why would they act like that towards each other? Do they not know that there's all these things going on in the world? We can say yes, but none of it matters because Christ is on his throne. Now let me tell you about Jesus. There's all this stuff that's going on, but we can be encouraged today that the work that God has completed has started in you that he's going to see through completion. Maybe you're here today, though, and, and you realize that this does seem foreign, that none of this seems right. Maybe it's because you've, you've yet to come and join into a relationship with Christ. Maybe you, maybe you don't have Christ as your Savior. If that's the case today, I, I pray that today would be the day. I pray that simply that you would see that, that you are in need of a Savior, that you are a sinner like all of us are. Every one of us has a sinner. The difference is, is that some of us have, have, God has shown us that we, have, that we are sinners and that we need to cast all of our hope on him that we need to trust in what Christ has done. If you've not done that, I pray that today would be the day that you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. And if you have done that, I pray that as we leave here, that we would bond together in a a fellowship and join together in the mission like we've never had before, and that you would be encouraged, and that you would leave here with a joy that only can come from Christ. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for your word today, Lord. I thank you for... Uh, the ability we have to come here. And Lord, we don't just come here to, to sit and sing and, and listen. We come here uh, to get to hear from your word. We get to be surrounded by our brothers and sisters who, who love us, that have joined in on the mission together. And Lord, we know that uh, there's going to be times of struggle. There's going to be times of hurts. There's going to be times in our lives where uh, things are going to happen that we wish would have never happened. But Lord, remind us that we're not alone. Physically here, right now, we're not alone because we have brothers and sisters in Christ that care about us and love us and will love us in a way that is unknown to the world. But also, Lord, we're never alone because you've given us the Spirit. Lord, continue to to make the Spirit evident in our lives. Show us ways where where we are not living lives that, that are pure and blameless. Lord, help us to be ready for your return by living lives that are that are pleasing to you, living lives that, that are getting rid and removing things that, that are against your word. Lord, we thank you for everything you've done today. Lord, we pray you're glorified in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.